Okay, as I uh, said, um, in two weeks, the first Sunday in June, we'll resume in our sermon series on the seven sign miracles of Jesus. Um, but today we're going to take a, take a close look at a topic that's discussed in, in several books in the New Testament about spiritual gifts. Connecting to God's purpose in your life is the title of the message. And that's why I give you that outline there, and I'll discuss a little bit about that in a few moments. But During the French Revolution, there's a story of three Christians who were sentenced to death by guillotine. One Christian had, so, had a, a spiritual gift that gave him an insurmountable amount of faith. The other, the second Christian, had the gift of prophecy. And then the third Christian had the gift of service. The Christian with the insurmountable amount of faith was up to die first by guillotine. And he, he was asked if he wanted to wear the hood over his head. And he said, no, thank you. I don't need, I don't need that over my head. I'm not afraid to die. He says, I have faith that God will deliver me. His head was positioned under the guillotine with his neck on the chopping block. He looked up at the sharp blade, said a short pr prayer, and waited, waited patiently and, confident, and confidently. The rope was pulled. Nothing happened. Now, this just bewildered the executioner. He didn't understand what happened. He figured this must be an act of God, so he set the man free. The second Christian up is the one who had the gift of prophecy. He too was asked if you want to wear the black hood over your head or not. He said, no, thank you. He said, I'm going to decline. He said, I'm not afraid to die either. However, he said, I predict that God is going to deliver me from this guillotine. Okay, the executioner got him ready on the, on the, the chopping block. Had him look up at the blade. Pulled the rope. Nothing happened again. Well, the executioner even more bewildered and puzzled. Said, this must be another act from God. So I'm going to set him free. So the second Christian was set free. Then up comes for execution the third Christian who had the gift of service. He was brought the guillotine and asked likewise, if, do you want to wear a hood? And he said, no, I'm, he said, I'm not. I'm just as brave as the other two gentlemen who just were set free. So the, the executioner positioned him upside down looking up at that sharp blade. And just as he was about to pull the rope, the executioner, the Christian yelled, stop, wait. I think I see what's wrong with your guillotine now. <laughs> oh, that was the gift of service. I think I'd have kept my mouth quiet. How about you? So, but just like those three gentlemen, those three Christians, we too have a specific and a unique spiritual gift that's given to us at the moment we accept Christ as Savior. As we're looking today at spiritual gifts connecting with uh, God's purpose in your life. Well, the first question you may ask is, well, what are spiritual gifts? What are spiritual gifts? Here's a definition. It is the desire and power God gives you to accomplish his purpose. The desire and power God gives you to accomplish his purpose. Philippians 2.13, Paul said, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Pardon me, this on Isabella, please sit. Thank you. 
All right, I didn't use a spiritual gift. I used a parental gift just then, a command, sit down. Okay, now, it is God who is at work in you, both to give you that will and to work for his good pleasure, he said. Remember, you will never, no Christian will ever be able to experience true fulfillment in your life until you connect to God's purpose in your life. Remember that. Now, let's discover how we are to find this, these spiritual gifts. Look at Romans 12 and verse 3. He says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. There may be reasons why we don't know about our spiritual gift. We have it. Many Christians just don't use it because they don't know they have that specific gift. One reason Paul said, well, you may think too highly of yourself. You ever, think, you ever seen Christians out there that are just holier than thou? <laughs> Carrie, oh yeah. They, they, are, they are fooling themselves, okay? Or also they may think too lowly of themselves, Paul was saying. That could hinder you not using that spiritual gift that God has given you. You ever seen anybody like, oh, woe is me. I'm just a lowly worm out there. Woe is me, woe is me. There are Christians out there who are like that. They think too low of themselves. That's not how God wants them to think. He can't use you if you're thinking too highly or you're thinking too lowly of yourself. Remember this, we are made in God's image. And with that moment we've accepted Christ as Savior, we are filled with that indwelling Holy Spirit that stays with us. And remember, we are always a part of God's plan. Now look at verses 4 and 5 of Romans 12. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Take the human body from head all the way down to the soles of your feet. All those organs, all those body parts, they, all, they don't work against each other. They should work all together to make your body functionable, right? The rest of your body's not going to operate if there's no brain. Some people don't use their brain. They need to, but without a, that brain doesn't operate just by itself, okay? The heart doesn't function just in and of itself by itself. It depends on other, other parts of the body to help that body work. That bo they, it can't distribute blood if there's no, there's no arteries or veins, is there? That heart's going to sit there and just beat to itself and then overflood with blood. It needs to be able to circulate that blood. You know, the, Paul was saying it's this, as the human body, it's, same, it's the exact same in the church and its members. We all have one specific spiritual gift, and we should all be dependent on one another. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 20. Paul broadens on this. He says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be, he asks. If the whole, if the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? 
But now there are many members, but one body. You know, that part where he talks about if we were to all just, our whole body were an eye, I just automatically thought we'd be rolling around like a ball. That's all we would do. We'd be, have no other function but to roll around like an eyeball. You know, we're not all, the eyeball is not the hand, the hand is not the ear. Each part all work together to function but under one body, just like the church, under one body, under Jesus Christ. Now, you may be asking, well, what are these spiritual gifts? You gave us a definition. You said we all are compared to the body like uh, the Apostle Paul did the comparison. What are these spiritual gifts? Now, let's look at verses 6 through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberty, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And you look at that, that uh, piece of paper I give you. It gives you, in Romans, it gives you those seven spiritual gifts. There are seven and only seven spiritual gifts. Then, because of God has given you one of those spiritual gifts, the next cat column is the um, ministries that come with those. Whether it be pastor, teacher, evangelist, on and on and on. And then from that is a result, there are effects. If you'll look at that third column, the results of those ministries that came from your specific spiritual gift. Now, hang on to those. Those are a good reference to keep whenever you may think in time, well, what is my spiritual gift? We'll get into that more in, this, in, a, in a little bit. But what I want to do now is get into these seven specific spiritual gifts, and I want to give you, um, for all of them, an example of someone who in the Bible exemplified that spiritual gift, give you some characteristics and some dangers with that and some scripture to go along with it. First of all, Paul mentioned the gift of prophecy. He mentioned the gift of prophecy. That is presenting God's word in order in a way that it will convict people of sin and their need for a right relationship with God. That's the definition of prophecy. Who I think of, first of all, in the Bible for prophecy is the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, after that great message, that great sermon, his first sermon at Pentecost, look at Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. Here is where that gift is, is exploited from, by Peter. He says, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. See there, they were convicted of their sin right away. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, what? He said, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift of prophecy right there. Now, there are some characteristics of the gift of prophecy. These people are very persuasive in their talk. They have the ability to speak well, okay? Most people up here um, in, in pulpits, evangelists, they are able to speak very well, and they depend on spiritual truth to validate that authority. They're highly opinionated, okay? They're very discerning. That means they're able to evaluate the character and motives most of the time of other people and they have a concern for the reputation of God, especially when people take God's name in vain. Well, that burns me up. 
nothing. I can handle the F-bomb. I don't, I'm supposed to say it up at the pulpit. The F-bomb, we all know what that word is, and it's not fudge, okay? Which, you know, we all know what it is. I can handle that. I'm used to hearing, I work in a factory, I hear good grief 15 times in a matter of two minutes from somebody. But to hear the word, uh, God's name taken in vain in that way, that, this, that, that really bothers me. It really bothers me. I guess I have the, the gift of prophecy. There are dangers also with this. They become proud of speech. They can become dependent on their speaking skills rather than let the Holy Spirit work through them. They become insensitive. They can to other people's feelings. They, they become very, their frankness is often seen as being too harsh. They have an emphasis, they emphasize on decisions that may appear to neglect the spiritual growth of other people. They have strong convictions that may hinder intimate personal relationships. And they have a strong desire to convey truth, which may be seen as having little interest in opinion of others. That is the gift of prophecy. Those are the dangers. Now, the second gift is the gift of serving. And that is meeting the practical needs of others. I think of um, my own mother. I believe she has the gift of serving, meeting those practical needs of other people. And she does a lot of that. She does that in the kitchen. Okay? And I think that is silly, but during the... the uh, time of great trial with their next door neighbor. She lost her husband finally. But during that time, up to him dying, she was at a low point. Mom, with love and compassion, would make meals and take it to her. That was the, that's a gift of serving, meeting the practical needs of other people. And what's more practical than having to fill your tummy? Okay, all right, in this world. But all in the Bible, the example I think of is Martha at the reception at Bethany. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Here's the story quickly. Now as they were traveling along, he, that's Jesus, entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his words. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. There wasn't nothing wrong with what Martha was doing. She was worried about preparing a meal for Jesus. She invited him into his home. She was meeting, trying to meet the practical needs at that moment uh, for Jesus. Now, there are some characteristics with this. They desire the appreciation, but it doesn't need much public recognition. They, they, want, they don't mind being appreciated, but they don't want everybody in the world to know about it. You know, they don't want it to be uh, people thinking that they're glorifying them. They don't want that. They, they're able to detect the personal needs of others as well as their likes and dislikes. They may have involvement in a variety of different activities and have difficulty saying no. You may like that, they just can't say no to anything. And, you know, it may put them at discomfort, but they can't say no to someone who is in need. They enjoy short-range goals rather than those long-term goals. And they're willing to overlook their personal discomfort to meet others' needs. Now, there are some dangers in, in this. Now, when I say these 
characteristics and dangers doesn't mean every one of them exemplified these characteristics or these dangers. They may have that spiritual gift, but it doesn't mean they're going to always, uh, there's a potential of danger with this, with this gift. And one of the dangers is it can be said to be unspiritual, unspiritual due to having little desire uh, to no desire to teach any lessons, you know, uh, teach Bible lessons and do things in Sunday school because they're always worried about those practical needs. They may exclude others from a specific job, you know, in, in within the church, meeting the practical needs of others. They have the eagerness in serving may prompt suspicion of self-advancement. They may be becoming bitter when not appreciated. And they have overemphasis on meeting practical needs versus spiritual needs and that judging others uh, who don't have this gift. All right, the third one is teaching, teaching. And that is presenting and clarifying biblical truth. It's very important to understand the difference, though, in the spiritual gift and the role of being a teacher, okay, the role of being a teacher. Um, the great example is Priscilla and Aquila, and he, they were friends of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 26. He says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only, though, with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They were teaching about another baptism, see, other than the baptism of John. Okay, there are some characteristics. And by the way, I believe Apollos, my opinion, I believe Apollos was the writer of Hebrews. That's just my opinion. Take it for whatever it's worth. You know, that's just an opinion. Anyway, characteristics of this gift of teaching. They enjoy researching biblical truth rather than presenting the truth. They like to test the knowledge of other people. And they also avoid using illustrations from any non-biblical source. And they put emphasis on the meaning of words, specific words. And they believe their gift is foundational to the, all the other gifts. Now, there's a couple of dangers. They focus too much on content rather than application what it means to you and i they become prideful of all the knowledge they may have acquired and inattentive to response of the audience now like i said don't get that mixed up with the spiritual gift of teaching and being a teacher like a sunday school teacher just because someone's a sunday school teacher doesn't mean that they have the gift of teaching okay i have the gift of prophecy but i also teach as well okay probably not real well but I do teach, okay? So there is a difference. And I definitely pay attention to the response of you guys. Don't think, you don't think I don't, I do. So that's not a danger for me because I do pay attention. You won't believe what I see up here sometimes, even a small group. I can imagine if this, if this place was full, I probably would be want to chuckle and I might even get aggravated of the different things I see out here or up here. But anyway, just forget, forget I even mentioned that. Number four, the gift of exhortation. That is helping people solve problems by applying God's word to their lives. And some characteristics, they are very gifted in counseling. Uh, usually prefers one-on-one -on -one counseling versus group counseling. They usually begin with the problem, then they go to scripture 
rather than Scripture, starting with Scripture. And they like to see practical application. They're not interested in doctrinal the, uh, theology like predestination and election. They're not interested in, in Bible prophecy. You know, those things are not important to them. Now, there are a couple of dangers with this get to exhortation. They, de they may desire to witness through a lifestyle that may appear to be lack of interest in evangelism. And the use of Scripture for practical application may appear to take Scripture out of context. Those are a couple of dangers. Um, the, the person that I think of who most exemplified exhortation, to get the exhortation, the author of the majority of the book of Proverbs, King Solomon, he gave us practical application on how to live our lives today. Written thousands of years ago, it's still very practical and applicable today, isn't it? The book of Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. Now, number five, the gift is giving. That is using your personal assets to further God's kingdom. Um, great example, Barnabas. Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. Luke writes, Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, he sold it and brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Every last red cent he laid at the apostles' feet. For whatever amount of money he got for that tract of land, he gave it all to the new-founded church, to the kingdom of God. Now, characteristics. They may or may not be wealthy. You don't have to be wealthy to have the gift of giving, okay? Uh, they become motivated to organize finances. They have the ability to make purchases and investments wisely, and they like to give anonymously, okay? They have dislike, the dislikes and avoids pressure appeals. They want, to be they want to motivate others to give as well. And they are joyous when a gift is an answer to a specific prayer. Those are characteristics of that gift. Now, there are some dangers. They can become prideful in their giving. They may have the desire to increase effectiveness of ministry. It may seem as attempts to control the ministry. Other people may, may get that misunderstanding about these people. They'll have a lack of response to pressure appeal, which may appear as a lack of generosity. And they may have overemphasis on material needs and equating spirituality with material success. Now, that's the gift, excuse me, that's the gift of giving. And we all should uh, participate in that spiritual gift as well in giving. Number six, he says organization or leading. And that is the coordination of activities of others to achieve common goals. Okay? I'm getting ready to coordinate a common goal with you if you don't stop. You need to let go and stop. Okay? My gift and parental uh, uh, guidance just come out again. So you need to be good. All right? Remember, Jesus is watching you. All right? The, the great example, Lydia who was the first convert in the church of Philippi. She was a businesswoman. You find her story in Acts chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. You can look it up on your own. I decided not to, not to, not to give that, okay? But the characteristics, they see the big picture, and they're effective at delegating out to other people, specific projects. They have the ability to preside, okay? They desire to complete tasks as quickly as possible, and they have a willingness to endure criticism from workers 
to achieve the ultimate goal. They can withstand all the criticism from their peers, but they're going to make sure that goal, they get to the finish line. Now, there are some dangers as well. Sometimes they're viewed as using people for the success of a goal. This could be seen as devaluing people, and they may seem as being pushy at times as well. They can lose sight of ministry purpose of the goal, and they have the ability to de delegate may be viewed as laziness. I think a good leader is able to delegate well, not micromanage. That's how to be successful. Now, the last spiritual gift that is listed in Romans chapter 12 is the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy. And that is identifying with and comforting those who are hurting. That is the gift of mercy. There are some characteristics with this as well. They have the ability to discern the mood and spirit of the individual that they are dealing with. They are extremely sensitive to words and actions that hurt others. They have a greater concern for mental distress than physical suffering. And they, they, react, they react negatively to those who are insensitive to the feelings of others. There are some dangers, though, with mercy. They may have a failure to be firm when necessary. That can show a sign of weakness in them. They are sensitive to others. Their sensitivity to others may cause some to feel they are guided by emotion rather than common logic. They may be resentful to others who lack the gift of mercy, and they may maybe could be misunderstood sometimes by the opposite sex. You know where I'm going with that, okay? I think of the city of Joppa in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Remember Tabitha and Dorcas in Greek? That was, she had a gift of mercy. Now, in closing, we've listed the seven spiritual gifts, and you've looked, you looked at your, your outline there, the ministries because of those spiritual gifts and those effects. Look them up and read those scriptures in your own time. That's where those, those come from. There are three truths about spiritual gifts that we need to remember this morning. Three timeless truths about spiritual gifts. The first one is God has given every Christian a unique spiritual gift. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter said, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Another pop quiz question. Y'all ready? I'm so excited. I want to give another pop quick quiz question. You guys have not done very well lately. Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. Here is the question. Who in the Bible had all seven spiritual gifts. Bingo. Jesus Christ is the only person who had all seven spiritual gifts. You know why? He was God. Duh. You know, <laughs> you know, he had all seven spiritual gifts. No one else ever has or ever will have all seven spiritual gifts. Only Jesus. Now, the reason why we don't have all seven of them. It's because if we all were the same, we couldn't help one another. This world would be a boring place, wouldn't it? If everybody was the same. Just like the body. We're not all an eyeball. We're not all an eyelid. We're not all an elbow. Each body part is specific in its function, so it all works together so that body can function. Or we hope it does. Sometimes it don't, but that's the idea. We, each one has their own specific spiritual gifts so we can depend on others. I can depend on Gary. I can depend on Adam. I can depend on Donna. 
and Daniel. And hopefully people can depend on me for that spiritual gift. That's how the Christian faith works. Everyone has a unique spiritual gift. God wants us to perform all the gifts, though. We are to try to perform all of them, okay, from giving, having mercy, to serving, to foretelling God's word, and convicting people. We should be doing all of those and exhorting, helping people uh, who are in need emotionally at times. And we have one gift to use to serve God according to his plan and his purpose. Now, the second truth is true fulfillment comes from using our spiritual gift. I said you'll never be able to fully connect with God's plan until you truly understand that spiritual gift God has given you. You know, I think of a great example. When somebody gives you a Christmas gift, I give Adam a Christmas gift. And I, I find the the top-of-the-line uh, Apple product or, or, or Nintendo product, something brand new. And I know that he's, he's decided, he's budgeted himself, he's not going to purchase it. So I decide, you know what, I want to see the joy he has. And I'm going to get him this new gift. And I wrap it up and put a pretty bow on it. And Merry Christmas. And he sets it down. He said, you know what, that paper and bow look so beautiful. Even taking a picture of it is not going to do I'm just going to set it here on my stand in my room and I'm going to look at it day, every time I come in this room. That gift is not being used, is it? It's sitting there collecting dust and, and it may not even work. He may decide down the road years later to open it may not work. The point is I gave him a gift to use it. If he doesn't use it, it's, just, it's a wasted gift. It's not being used at all. He won't get that true fulfillment until he opens that and jumps for joy and begins to play Nintendo, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. I'm not up with arcade, with video games no more like I was. But I just thought of that, you know. When you get a gift, you use it, you, or you should use it, or you get rid of it in goodwill, something, whatever. Anyway, Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When we are striving to do God's will and living in his will, he's going to take care of us. If we're obedient Christians, he will take care of us. Knowing and performing that specific unique gift will bring God's blessings now and in the life to come. Those rewards, like Gary's talking about, those rewards that are awaiting us one day. God loves obedient children, amen? He loves obedient children. I love obedient children. I love them when they disobey too. But there, I also would like to give them a light slam every now and then for disobeying. But anyway, God loves obedient children. And the third timeless truth, truth is spiritual gifts helped perfect the body of Jesus Christ. Remember the analogy of the body in 1 Corinthians 12? When we're all performing our spiritual gifts, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ is functioning like a well-oiled machine, isn't it? It's all working together when everybody is working hard at using that spiritual gift now that is how we reach others for christ and how the church can grow to its fullest potential when we're using that specific gift that god has given us when one person in the church isn't using their spiritual gift it's as if one part of the body's in a cast if i decide i'm not going to use a right arm at all i'm gonna walk around do everything with one arm and just keep it like this it might as well be in a cast it's useless but it's it's limited my abilities to be able to do certain things. Sometimes you've got to have two hands, don't you? You've got to have the function of two arms 
especially to grab a hold of the, one of your kids and pick them up and carry them or do whatever or bend them over your knee, whatever it might take. You know, one arm and one hand ain't going to do it. You've got to have both. So one person in the, in the church who's not using their spiritual gift is if they're in a spiritual caste. They're limiting themselves. Remember um, that if some reason you don't know what your spiritual gift is, it's never too late. If you don't know what that specific spiritual gift is, ask God to help lead you, to show you what that spiritual gift is. I didn't know for quite some time. I really never thought about it. It was always there. It was a matter of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then he added those things. He finally showed me what that gift was. Remember that our spiritual gift, though, is not about you. It's not about me. It's about edifying the church of Jesus Christ. And I can, go, I can go on and on. I think of people who practice the gift of tongues. That's a sermon in itself where that came from. Tongues in the Bible refers to languages, not this utter gibberish stuff that's being spewed out there. I believe that's, well, I'm going I'm to leave that alone for right now. But there is a sermon I'm going to give one day about tongues. But any time I've ever seen anybody try to use that gift, and I was saved in a Pentecostal church, They'll stand up there and they just try to receive that gift of tongues to come down upon them so they can, they can speak some heavenly, utterly language to God. It's not about you. If no one can interpret that, you're just doing it for yourself. Paul says the spiritual gifts are for the edification of others, the church. That's what we have to remember. Ephesians 4.12 and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Here we go. For the equipping of the what? Myself? No. The equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building of the body of Jesus Christ. That gift of salvation is a free gift of God. Amen. It comes with many perks, doesn't it? We receive that specific Spiritual gift because God has called us into our into his VIP club. We're part of his very important person club. Why would we want away something so special that he give us when God took the time to find us special enough to give us such a great gift? Don't waste it. If all Christians would use their spiritual gift, then you just imagine we wouldn't we wouldn't be in the shape we're in today. I know we live in a fallen world. If you don't know what that gift is, pray to God. He'll show you what that gift is because he wants, remember, you're part of his plan. We are part of God's plan. And he gives us a gift to use it for the edification, for the equipping of the saints. Let's bow together in prayer. Or maybe talking to somebody out here this morning. You might be a Christian. You may be a, a young Christian in your faith. You may be a minute Christian for many years, but you've never really thought much about a spiritual gifts. Like, what is that? Well, we talked about what a spiritual gift is, how we can discover it, and how we are to use it in our Christian life, not for ourselves, but for others. It's about relationship with other people when they're down, when they need help, they need guidance. If you're a young Christian and you, you don't have that, pray that to God and he'll show you because you are a part of his plan. He didn't save you just for, just for no reason. 
He saved you specifically for a specific plan in order to tell about Jesus, His Son. Maybe you're listening and you want a spiritual gift. But guess what? First of all, if you're not a Christian, you don't have that gift. It's waiting for you the moment you accept Christ as Savior. My question is for you, are you ready for that moment? If God's Holy Spirit is working on you, I'm praying that you will not listen to the enemy. Satan doesn't want you to do anything. His great deception is to tell you you've got plenty of time. This world will take care of you. Man will take care of you. Your family will take care of you. Wrong, wrong, and wrong again. Only Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross shed that precious blood on Calvary, taking the punishment that we all deserved. He took it once and once for all to provide that opportunity to have life and life eternal with him through the blood of Jesus. If you're at that point in your life right now, you know you're a sinner and in need of a Savior. You don't have to wait down the road because we're not guaranteed the next five minutes. You can make that decision right now. If God's Spirit is working on you, you can say this simple prayer of faith with me silently in your heart or out loud knowing God is listening and waiting with open arms to accept you as one of His children and give you that special, unique spiritual gift that'll be with you for the rest of your life that you can use for the equipping of the saints, other Christians. Say this prayer with me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I know, God, I have sinned against you in so many ways. And God, I am truly sorry for all of those sins in my life. But I believe what I heard today, that you love me so much, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins taking that punishment I deserve for my sins and I'm trusting in what Jesus did on that old rugged cross to save me of my sins not in my good works but by what Christ and Christ alone did on that cross to save me of my sins God thank you for loving me thank you for forgiving me and I'm praying right now you will help me spend the rest of my life serving you and I pray this in Jesus name and if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it with all of your heart. You are now a child of God. At that moment, the greatest thing you'll receive is God's indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus left and said, I'm going to bring a, I'm going to send a helper because we can't make it on our own. We need Christ. We need that indwell Holy Spirit to help guide us in our Christian walk. And he also give you a specific, specific spiritual gift. You may not know what it is right away, but don't worry in time. God will show you if you'll be obedient to him and want to do what he has called you to do. The first thing he's going to want you to do is give a testimony. You're going to want to tell everybody about what the experience you just had, about, about, about what Christ just did for you, taking you and getting rid of the old life, the old you, and throwing it as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness, the Bible says. Tell people, anyone who will listen about what Jesus did just did for you saving you knowing that this is not all there is there is eternal life waiting for you in heaven one day with loved ones who have gone on before you and also eternity with Jesus the Heavenly Father tell everyone about what Christ is, did for you and then make sure this is so important get into a Bible believing church 
that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word. There are a lot of churches out there, unfortunately. There are many, and it's growing, unfortunately, quickly, who are compromising God's Word for money, for popularity, for numbers, personal gain. They're straying away from God's Word. But there are biblical churches who teach the whole counsel of God's Word, and that includes that three-letter word, the reason why everything is in the shape it's in, sin, S-I-N. Make sure they teach about sin and what sin does to people and that there is hope in Jesus and the, that the only way out of eternity in hell separated from God is through the blood of Jesus accepting Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No person, no man, no woman, no child comes to the Father except through me. Make sure they teach that as well. If you can't find that church, there's one right here, Pleasant View Missionary Baptist, where we teach the whole counsel of God's Word. You can find our information on our Facebook page or on our website, pvbaptistchurch.org. Well, we have great sermons. Our statement of faith is on there. Brother Daniel has done tremendous work. Um, there's a special blessing waiting from him one day in heaven for the work he does for this little church. And I am so thankful for him and what he does. If you can't get into this church, get into the, another Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word. They're out there. Just go find one and stay in it and stick in God's Word and stick with other Christians. We, the Christian walk was not meant to be alone. There is no I in team, and there's no just one person in the Christian walk. It takes everyone, a whole family, just like the body, from head to toe, it all works together to make that body function. So it is in the church of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray to you this morning that no one who may have listened to this call of invitation or any other great pastor teacher out there who put up that call of invitation, I pray that none of them would resist that call and be obedient and come to the foot of the cross and give their life to Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.